and Kyle and I, the pastors here, uh, have each prepared three recommendations for things to watch or read or scriptures that are speaking to us that uh, will guide us into, it's sort of deeper content is what we were thinking about today. You're going to get nine recommendations today of deeper content. What We three, of course, have our own like frivolous loves, right? And maybe we might have to like, before we get going today, just drop the frivolous loves for me. The European Championships are today, and England will win the European Championships. That is my frivolous love for today. Let's go, England. Okay. Uh, But what we're talking about for the most of today is deeper content, things that get us, like, thinking hard, feeling deeply, uh, finding consolation, growing intentionally, all of those things, maybe being convicted or challenged. If you're looking for deeper content for the summer, we would like to be able to resource you with a bunch of good ideas. So... First off, Haley, Kyle, glad you're here. Um, Kyle, can we go to you first with like, what's something you're watching? Absolutely. Uh, hello, everybody. It's wonderful to be here with you today. Um, I was just saying, Vince, like, I think there's a lot of people that'd be quite upset to call the Euro final trivial. I, I think there's uh, there would be a- fair enough. You're right. That that's um, this was very deep, very deep content. I, exactly. So, uh, you know, I had a lot of thoughts on, there's like a million things that I find meaningful. So I just decided I'm going to go with the stuff that in this last week I have interacted with that felt like it caused me to think more deeply, uh, wonder more broadly, or feel more in touch with uh, the kind of connected oneness, uh, the divine in reality. So the first one up is what am I watching? You know, the most recent thing that I watched that left me sitting like that was uh, Bo Burnham's Netflix special, Inside. Uh, It's on Netflix. It's a comedy special that he wrote in over the span of the last year or so. He had, um, it's, it is funny. It is at times a little crude if that is something that you're not into, uh, but crudeness does not tend to bother me. So, and it is uh, also deeply insightful on many different things. He is a comedian, if you're not aware, who got really famous young on YouTube. Like he's, he's now 30, but got really big early in his 20s, uh, late teens doing comedy uh, songs. Um, but then because of uh, mental health, he took a five-year break from doing comedy and had agreed to feel like he was in a healthy enough place to come back to it and agreed to do a Netflix special uh, this summer of 2020. And so uh, little does he know, he gets towards it and realizes the specials are not gonna be happening in person and decides to alone in a room, self-produced, self-camera work, self-lighting, at least made to look that way, films the whole special over a span of about 16 months. And you can see him age and grow. And the part of it is he, he, he does actually in the midst of it fall back into some real mental health challenges too. So it is both comedy as well as him wrestling in the context of the pandemic, pandemic alone in a room uh, with what, what I think many of us were wrestling through. So it was both meaningful and thoughtful. Some of his songs like Welcome to the Internet uh, felt like deeply insightful. The, uh, the, the uh, chorus of the song is how about a little bit of everything all of the time. Uh, and there's a, just the, the, what does that do to your mental life if you have an access to everything all of the time? So that's from my answer. For me, I found that really uh, both at times you sat there and it was like, I didn't know what I was watching, 
but I felt captivated and I have thought about it about every other day since then. So somebody who describes our reality really accurately, but also in a unique way, it's like, you can't help but listen that feel like that taps into something. That's what, like we use the word resonance, right? Resonated with me, which is like what that literally is, is like, you know, the tune of a, of a pitchfork. If you sing the note, it, you know, it, it, it hums and we're resonating, right? Cause he's, he's playing the right note. Um, yeah, yeah, that's great. So Bo Burner, what's the name of the special Kyle? It's called inside inside. Oh, right. Great. And, and we just dropped it in the chat. That's awesome. Yeah. He's just it, the whole thing. You, you see him age over the years. He doesn't cut his hair the whole time. And so you can see parts of the time where he's even cutting back to, he like filmed certain things for the end at the beginning and you can see, uh, so it's, it's a very interesting watch that I think asked and provoked lots of meaningful questions. I like it. And just looking at the the chat, uh, Abby dropping in uh, the, uh, I love her little comment that this is me paraphrasing Kyle's review, meaningful, insightful, captivating, hilarious, thought provoking. It's like that should go up on the, on the, the poster. I think Kyle and Abby should be hired to, to do movie posters. So good job guys. <laughs> uh, Haley, uh, what about you? What are you watching? So this one was actually harder for me to answer. Um, I've been keeping this on the DL from the film discussion group, but I'm not really a big movie person. Um, and I tend to watch the same TV shows over and over and over again. So I don't think anybody really needs a like glowing review of The Office or Schitt's Creek or something like that. Um, I don't think people need to be like prompted to watch those shows. Although they're, it's great. I love watching things like over and over again because I know what to expect. Um, it's weirdly comforting. So that being said, um, I was thinking about, well, what, I'm, what am I actively watching right now? And something that I'm catching up on right now is a show called The Next Question that's produced and co-hosted by Austin Channing Brown. Um, so I'd heard her talk about this on different podcasts and it was always in the back of my mind of like, oh, I should watch an episode. Um, and I finally did and sat down and watched a few. So she hosts along with um, Chichi Oku and uh, Jenny Booth Potter. And the style of it is just friends hanging out and chatting more so than it is a formal interview process. But the content is really incredible. Um, they have a lot of wonderful guests on, uh, Rachel Cargill, Brené Brown, Andre Henry. They cover a huge range of topics, education, social movements, body image, prison abolition, joy. Um, it's just really, really thought provoking and has drawn me into all of the conversations that I've watched so far. Um, the episodes of this, it's the next question. The episodes are about like 45 minutes to an hour. Um, the first season has full episodes loaded on their website. And these were recorded pre-pandemic. They're all sitting together in a room and drinking wine and hanging out um, on their website. So it's tnqshow.com is where those are. And then on their Instagram, the next question, they have clips of more recent conversations that took place over video calls. And I believe that the full episodes are coming out later. Um, but yeah, just really engaging. And in the same way, Kyle, that I think watching things that stick with you and it's not just an in the moment experience, but it's an ongoing thinking about things and wrestling with words that were said and being drawn into deeper conversations, that that's something I really found 
um, from sitting and listening and watching these this week. That's awesome. And so is this a, a free thing? Like you just go to their website and it's totally free to watch the episodes? Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, and some of the people that they bring in are really doing like really great on the ground work with different organizations and things like that. Um, so it's completely free to watch. And I think part of it too, they don't say this explicitly, but what I kind of felt compelled to after as well is um, if there are ways to support these different organizations or the guests that they're having on, I think that that is just as important as like paying for some type of streaming. Um, so it's completely free to watch. Yeah. That's good to know. Uh, Austin Channing Brown is one of those voices that really feels like a, a North Star for Brown Line, I would say. One, because we've got some love, just our, our local Chicago, uh, uh, the, Austin Channing Brown was uh, went to North Park University, which is where Haley is a SEM student. And so that's nearby. It's just down the street uh, from where we meet on Sundays. Uh, but, uh, but somebody who stands at the intersection of speaking to wider culture about what matters to all people just by virtue of like living in America and doing so from a Jesus perspective, uh, profoundly, um, I, uh, Austin Channing Brown, you, you could not go wrong, uh, pursuing more of what she is saying and writing right now. So awesome. Good stuff. Um, let's see. So I, um, what am I watching is, um, i it may sound at the outset that I have um, that I missed the memo on like not frivolous uh, because what I want to say is uh, the latest Marvel shows on Disney Plus, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe shows, um, WandaVision, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Loki. So bear with me if you're not like a comic books or superhero fan. Totally fine. You do not need to like these. You're gonna get eight other recommendations besides those uh, right there that I just threw out uh, today. But if you if you are game for superhero stuff, uh, I'm going to highly recommend the Disney Plus shows because they are surprisingly deep. These The three shows that have been released, the last one, Loki, it hasn't aired the finale yet. It airs this week. Um, but these three shows have tackled huge topics. So WandaVision tackled grief and uh, you're, you're, the show starts off like super quirky and silly but then you start to realize as the show goes on, and it's really patient the way that suddenly you realize like underneath all of the quirkiness and the silliness is deep pain and deep loss. I, so the main character has lost somebody who they loved and is trying to put their life back together. And this person just happens to be a superhero who's trying to put their life back together. So it's it kind of gets wild and there's lots of supernatural stuff going on. But it's just at, at the core, it's a human story about grief and it's really beautiful. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, the the showrunner Malcolm Spellman, uh, in particular, he he uh, he told this. Uh, he brought in a lot of uh, stories from comic books. If you're like a Marvel comics fan, uh, that were that were um, not as well known. And one in particular is the story of Isaiah Bradley, who is the forgotten Black Captain America before the Captain America that most people you know have the image of, or if you've ever seen the movies, you know know about. And this story was it was very powerfully told, and only the last episode was really heavy-handed and kind of like uh, went a little bit too far. But the rest of the episodes were like careful and 
and not um, and not like making it out to be like they were talking deeply about race, but not making it out to be something that can be fixed quickly. They were talking about like this was not a Hollywood rendition of a story about race. This was reckoning with real problems that have plagued America, uh, you know, under with the symbol of Captain America being the thing that we're talking about. Super, super powerful, I, I found. Uh, and I was really impressed with uh, Malcolm Spellman, the, the showrunner who who developed this story. Spellman would be the second uh, 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 black person to be given the helms of an MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe project. The first was Ryan Coogler, who did Black Panther, which was hugely powerful in sort of celebrating black excellence. And, and, uh, and this was a, sort of a different story because it was trying to dig into the story of America and uh, what does that mean. And I thought it was really, really well done. So... Falcon and the Winter Soldier I loved. And then last, Loki is the one that's going on right now. So we had grief with WandaVision. We had race with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. With Loki, I think it's about religion. And it is fascinating. Like the 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 whole story is trying to deconstruct the idea of like um, there is a deterministic future and some godlike creature is behind that or God is behind that. And you just, you know, I, it reminded me of our conversation a couple of weeks ago at church about um, yellow light situations. We, uh, we, we talked about God speaking in yellow lights rather than in red or green lights. And so often we are just, everything about religion or everything about growing up in America teaches us that you need a red light or a green light. There's a right way and a wrong way. And we just feel all this pressure about like, what is the right way and what is the wrong way? Is this a green light? Is this a red light? And if God is gonna speak, it has to be loud and in my face. It's gonna be a big light saying stop or go. And what we talked about is how God speaks in yellow lights, and and this this movie or this uh, this TV show that's unfolding is is uh, pulling apart the the way that if we if our picture of God is God only speaks in red lights and green lights, there is one determined future for how things are going to go, and if you're not following that, you're going to get zapped. <laughs> that's like that's that's sort of what happens in the story, and it's showing that's oppressive. When, when, when we live that way, when we think that's the way God operates, when we think that's the way the world operates, we start to close down and we start to feel afraid and we start to have lots of pressure and then bad things happen because we're feeling all of that pressure. And so um, it will deconstruct a lot of religion. I think it's not going to construct anything for you, or at least, I don't know, maybe the last episode will be like, that was the most compelling picture of Jesus ever. I doubt it. But, um, but we, so you have to construct something after watching this, but I do think that it really well deconstructs a picture of religion that I don't like and that I think hurts people. Uh, so I, I, I'm for the Marvel Cinematic Universe TV shows on Disney+. Plus. I think they're deeper than you might think. I often feel like all of those shows, there's no way any of them would have gotten uh, made prior to the success of 27 movies because they are all like, you, you try to pitch, I can try to imagine somebody trying to pitch these plots an executive without saying hey we've already made billions of dollars using these characters uh but it, it it seems to actually leverage the success to actually do things that are interesting and normally don't get made totally totally i think you have to like you know you have to kind of like the world of the superheroes of marvel superheroes uh ahead of time probably to get as much out of it as i have gotten uh so if if, if you're somebody who's like yeah i can dig a superhero movie i highly recommend these i think there's a lot going for them all right well that's that's what we're watching. What about what we are reading? Kyle, can we go to you first for what, what you're reading? Yeah, this was another hard one. And I kept on uh, trying to think about, I'm, there's a lot of stuff that um, 
I had in mind of meaningful reading I done. So again, I just went to what's the thing that I most recently read that was meaningful. And right now, um, I've been rereading uh, the 2007 uh, by Carol Dweck, uh, talking about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Um, doing this for my uh, my other job is weird. We're doing some training around kind of one of our core educational philosophies. What do we believe sets up kids for success? Um, and largely, it's how they see and experience themselves. Do they believe that they can succeed with effort? Do they believe they belong in a, a community? Do they believe um, that they are not just fixed in where they're at in terms of their academic place? Um, and there's a lot of, I think, for me, that has felt meaningful about it because to me, it's not just so much that I've been wrestling with how do I set kids up to have a successful experience? And largely my belief is that what people need, not just children, is environments and places where they are seen and valued innately for who they are. And the work that you're doing, the things that you are producing are not uh, equated to your uh, value. You're not a good kid because you do your homework. You're not uh, valuable because you did well on a test, but you yourself are just a loved and cared for person, which feels like a very deeply spiritual thing to me uh, that when you're trying to welcome a child for us, we do before school, uh, welcome a kid into the building, um, believing that we can actually impact their educational success by creating a space where they walk in and are seen and valued and cared for and supported and given narratives about themselves uh, that speak to who they are and their ability to succeed. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about that just in general from, a, from an adult faith perspective, um, that I think that kind of all of us wrestle uh, with how to become um, who we want to be. And if we don't have environments that are coming around us, and a, a big part of this is you can't just convince yourself, hey, with effort, I can succeed. Uh, I can change. I can grow. Um, I am I'm worthy to be in this community. I'm like a student believing I'm worthy. To, I'm worthy to be in this school community. I am not a somebody who is different than those other folks. And thinking for myself that that has felt really uh, meaningful to think about my own life. Do I have friendships? Do I have communities? Do I have spaces like this church um, where I have people coming around me and communicating um, an environment that is encouraging growth within myself rather than an environment that believes that I am somehow fixed in terms of where I am at. So uh, it's it's an older, there's a lot of actually newer stuff that builds off of this that I think is great. Um, but for this last week, because I've been preparing a professional development day that is going to be looking at some Carol Dweck stuff, I actually went back and started reading this old book. And if you haven't read it yet, uh, it's really good. It's actually the book itself isn't just about education. Uh, there are sections about parenting, business, relationship, school, um, and a lot of it being built around this idea of, of believing that we can actually grow, change, and evolve as humans. And much of our culture and society actually believes we kind of are fixed, that we, I am a smart person, I am a successful person, I am a person that is good at math, I'm a person that's bad at math, I'm a person that's good at relationships, I'm a person that's bad at relationships, I'm a person who is mentally healthy, I'm a person who is not mentally healthy, and that is much of how our world thinks. However, I believe God, as well as I think this uh, psychological framework, would set us up much better to believe that we are not fixed where we're at. That's really great. And the, the foundation that you talk about there of just like um, coming in, you, you are loved for who you are. You can you can build upon uh, on, on top of that. 
I mean, that, that feels like it comports so well with even the practice that we started today with. So that uh, that's great. That's awesome stuff, Kyle. Uh, Haley, what about you? What are you reading? So I am rereading uh, one of my all-time favorites right now. Um, it's called Learning to Walk in the Dark by Barbara Brown Taylor. Um, I am a really big words person, and I love the way that Barbara Brown Taylor writes. It's a really easy read, but it's super impactful. Um, this was the first book of hers that I read. So in this book, um, she studies and explores darkness and found that people have an association with the darkness of night um, and fearing things and the inner darkness of depression or sadness that culturally we've been kind of conditioned to turn on all the lights, um, whether it's having nightlights plugged in and things like that in a very physical way or um, in the church context, she talks about having what she calls a full solar spirituality. Um, so if you've ever experiencing anything beyond bright and sunny, it's seen as like, well, do you trust God enough? And have you tried praying? And you must be doing something wrong. Um, but she talks about how there's a rhythm to things and that we need the night just as much as we need the day. Um, she brings in a whole lot of different things like light pollution, just the like sheer number of devices that we have that light up and that it's hard to see the stars, but beyond just beauty, it impacts our health and our worldview and our theology, our ecosystems and creation. Um, so I was trying to pull a quote that I felt like would be a window into her writing, but I feel like I've underlined like this entire book. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's one of those reads, but this is a little excerpt and here she is contrasting this idea of a full solar spirituality with acknowledgement, a healthy acknowledgement of the different phases of life that come and go. So she says, after I stopped thinking that all these fluctuations meant something was wrong with me, a great curiosity opened up. What would my life with God look like if I trusted this rhythm instead of opposing it? What was I afraid of exactly? And how much was I missing by reaching reflexively for lights? Did I have enough faith to explore the dark instead of using faith to bar on all my doors? How much more was in store for me if I could learn to walk in the dark? This book is a record of where I looked and what I found, which makes it more of a journal than a manual. You are still welcome to come along, especially if you too have noticed phases in the brightness of your soul. Um, so just super powerful, has spoken really clearly into different seasons of my life. Um, and I've read it a few times now and each time I come away with different um, conclusions and reflections and things like that. It's a pretty cover too, and I'm a sucker for those. So learning to walk in the dark. I love that, Haley. Also, I, it's something that I feel like I have learned a great deal from you since working with you is about um, embodied faith, embodied spirituality. And like, I'm struck, like I, I hear about like learning to walk in the dark, you know, something like that. And I just only think symbolically, but I like, you know, this is about like no actual lights, like turning on the lights and turning off the lights. And there's something about like how, how we actually live out our, our life in our bodies right here, not just in our minds that impacts things. And so this feels really fascinating to me. And it's something that I feel like you, you, you've done a lot of work on. Yeah, it's, I definitely bring in a lot of um, her thinking into some of the own, my own things that I'll share. Um, 
yeah, she she brings in stories of like going into caves with hmm. friends who do that all the time and realized that she had never been in true darkness. And I think most of us have probably never been in true darkness. And they go deep into these caves and turn off their headlamps and just sit. Um, and she she talks about the different feelings, like in a very embodied sense of panic and anxiety, but also wonder mm. and curiosity and stillness. Um, so there's a lot that she takes in. It's not all in a headspace way of thinking, but in a very just embodied way that she um, inter starts interacting with darkness in a very intentional way. That sounds super helpful. Thanks for that. And again, we just got to give our props to Abby, the master of uh, of excerpts from what was just said. She writes, this is Abby in our chat, powerful read, pretty cover. <laughs> Love it. That's excellent. Um, so uh, what am I reading? Uh, my The book that I, um, I read in the last year that has stuck with me the most is a book called God Can't, How to Believe in God and Love After Tragedy or Abuse or Other Evils. Uh, this is uh, by an author named Tom Ord. Uh, it's for anyone who is who has ever wondered if there is a loving God, why didn't that loving God stop this horrible thing from happening to me or to my loved one? Uh, and the book, the response to that, uh, hence the, the title, is what might sound like a surprising response. Uh, God can't stop those things. That's, you know, like, why didn't God stop? God can't. Uh, but that turns out to be actually extremely comforting if you uh, if you follow the argument of the book. And, and it does not at all mean that there is a God who is not real or not powerful. God is incredibly powerful and incredibly real and incredibly comforting in the midst of abuse, tragedy. Um, I This book talks about God's power in a way that, to me, I've never heard it described so attractively. I, I, I That's not an exaggeration. Like, this is number one on my list in terms of, like, if you want to learn about what does it mean that God is powerful, I would say read this book. Um, it's, it's number one right now. Maybe something will overtake it, but this is number one right now. Um, I, th I think this book is for you if, if like me, you have uh, lost somebody to something that's like a senseless suffering. I, I lost a, a mother to cancer. I lost a brother to a stroke. Uh, so if you've ever experienced some sort of senseless suffering that, that had, there was no reason behind it, um, and, and it and it hurts you, this book is for you. If, you, um, if you've been the victim of abuse, um, uh, sexual or physical or emotional abuse, this book is for you. If you are the survivor of a natural disaster or a loved one you know survived a natural disaster or if you've had a miscarriage or if you suffer from any sort of trauma i think this book is for you and uh and i i again i could not recommend it more highly i think that the, the way this book describes who is god in the midst of those things and is that god actually trustworthy and helpful and powerful in the midst of those things yes the answer is yes and it's uh and it's a really beautiful read so i i recommend god can't by tom ord All right, that, uh, let's see, we want to do our last ones. We have six recommendations so far. Our last set of recommendations we want to do, what is speaking to you from scripture? So Kyle, we'll go to you again first. Uh, what scripture is speaking to you lately? Well, to, I want to make one caveat. Everything else I think that's been recommended, we could wholehandedly say anybody would benefit from reading. 
I will say the one exception is the Bo Burnham inside that it is not a for everybody thing. So uh, there's certainly some things in there that are outside of uh, uh, even leave me going, huh, that's a way to do that. Um, and so if you tend to not enjoy crude humor or uh, you, there's some also very dark self insight in there. So I want to put that little asterisk next to that recommendation. Um, again, I originally had a different thought. So I'm actually going to, hopefully this doesn't step on either of you because I originally was going to go with a different uh, passage to talk about. Um, but once again, I thought, what is the thing I'm actually reading this week? Right after church today, we're having our Bible discussion group and we are talking about Matthew 11. Um, and I, as I was reading and preparing for today, uh, what did I say? Oh, sorry. Uh, Luke 11, not Matthew 11. What did I say? Not Matthew. You said Matthew 11. That seems the opposite of, of what we're going to be doing. Um, Matthew 11, it's actually funny story. Matthew is like the most evangelical taught book in the Bible that for some reason in the evangelical church that, that, that Matthew's written to uh, primarily Jewish background people. So it's speaking to religious folks. And there's something about the way that it's written that uh, really resonates, I think, with the evangelical world. And so if, if in most evangelical churches, if there is going to be a gospel quoted, it's usually going to be out of Matthew. Um, anyways, uh, so um, for me, the the passage that uh, I'm, I was thinking about is actually, it's a, the reason it stuck with me is because it's, um, it's, uh, it's just pretty it was i say hurtful to me as a child so in um in matthew uh nine sorry in luke nine it says so i say to you ask and will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you for anyone who asks to receive the one who seeks finds to the one who knocks the door will be open um and i think for me uh it's been really interesting to wrestle with that. I think for a child uh, understanding of how I originally understood that passage, it felt very much like if I was not finding, if I was not receiving, and, and most notably, if I felt like I was praying and asking God for help, if I, if I was praying and asking God to show me something of him and it was not experiencing that, um, then, then that was on me that I had somehow missed the boat, that I that I was, I don't know, maybe I needed to, it was like a knocker, I was doing the wrong knock. I wasn't totally sure uh, of what that means. Um, it's followed up then by saying, you know, which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a sh fish, will give him a snake instead, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And to me, it really just, it really felt like, okay, well, if I'm not receiving good things, uh, what is wrong? And I think that was always a really big wrestling. I have recently really come back to this passage in, in preparation for today and read this in a really different light of how Luke has been read. Um, we've been going through Luke this, this entire time and there's a very clear like tone and feel for Luke that is not this kind of heavy handed, you're doing things wrong, but rather this deeply compassionate God. Luke is um, extremely focused and concerned on making sure that that those who are poor, outcast, outsiders are being put centered in the story and family of God. Um, and so to me, uh, when I reframe this experience and I think about um, the position of what Luke has been communicating throughout this whole book, which is trying to tell people that life 
is obviously not gone well for them. Life has, the inequity of the world has been clear that God is for them and with them. And so I think to me, uh, the, the shift here is uh, one that's more of like an absolute prescription. If I do this, then this will happen. And therefore, if I'm not receiving this, then I have done something wrong to a, a different view and a generous view of communicating to the places of want that God deeply cares and he is invested. And actually the fact that you are sitting in a place of suffering and sitting in a place of need is not something God is callous to. It is not that God has turned his back, that actually if you turn and knock and look to him, that you will see a deeply compassionate God that is longing and wanting to meet those places. And to me, when you read it in the context of all the other things Luke has tried to make really clear, and not just those three, five verses, it really hits me differently from a God that is deeply empathetic, not one that's removed, and evaluating if I have done the right things to see him. Mm, very good, very good. Uh, Haley, what about you? What, uh, what scripture is speaking to you lately? Yeah, um, so we're just, we're hanging out in the Gospels this morning, but I, um, I've just been really looking for comforting images of Jesus in this season. And one of my favorites that I go back to often comes at the end of the Gospel of John, so in chapter 21. And this story is after the resurrection of Jesus. The disciples are out fishing, and Jesus stands on the shore. Um, they're struggling to catch fish. He tells them to throw their net on the other side of the boat. They end up catching all that, all this fish um, that way. Peter realizes it's Jesus and jumps into the water and goes to swim to shore. Um, they haul all the fish to the shoreline and there's a fire going on on the beach. Jesus says, come and have breakfast. And at that moment, all of the disciples know it's him and he gives them fish and bread and they eat together. And the picture books and Sunday school lessons of this story that I had heard growing up always focused on the catching all the fish part, that that was the miracle, or um, that Peter jumped seeing Jesus and leaving everything and jumping into the water um, to go see him, like that part. But I have found a lot more meaning in focusing in on the invitation to have breakfast on the beach, um, picturing Jesus getting his hands dirty, building a fire on shore. Uh, that has been really comforting to me. There's a, a way of looking at scripture, interacting with scripture, um, where you approach things with this like idea of a holy imagination and putting yourself into the story, um, not in a way that centers your own narrative or that, but just being able to sit and kind of imagine the story actively happening around you, what would things smell like or look like or feel like. And this is one that just seems really tangible to me, um, feeling the sand on my feet or the, the wind and the sea air and all of that um, being invited to share a meal. And I think that that for me, just the everydayness of it gets more at the miracle in this story um, that there's a God who builds the fire and cooks fish and offers bread and invites us into just that everydayness um, that feels really, really beautiful and life-giving to me. And it's one that I come back to in the summer a lot because it feels even closer to reality. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's a story that I've been sitting in lately. Love it. Love it. 
um, for a scripture that has been speaking to me. We, we are truly going to stay in the Gospels. I, I also have uh, something that Jesus said. Um, mine is from Luke 22, and it's, it's sort of Jesus on leadership. And uh, so I'll just read the passage. And I'll tell you why it's like standing out to me. Uh, Jesus says to uh, his uh, disciples, he says, the kings of the Greeks and Romans lorded over them and those in authority, uh, those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So the reason this stands out to me is because of the way that it kind of stands on its head what most of us believe to be the aspirations of like becoming a leader, becoming an important person in, uh, in our worlds, in our, in our small little worlds, like our spheres of influence, or in society. Uh, there's a, a theologian named Willie Jennings, and um, he talks about how different Jesus's aspirations for the leader are from the aspirations of white America um, for uh, ascendancy, for in particular in higher education. So uh, Jennings wrote a book called um, After Whiteness and Education and Belonging. And he is uh, a black American who spent a lot of times in white dominated the, uh, theology, uh, the theology academy, and so it's just it, it is mostly uh, white men, and uh, and he talks about his education of belonging. So he speaks from a personal standpoint, but he also says that um, he 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 explains how a lot of the start of higher education in America, like the the seeds of why did we end up with this vast network of universities, state universities and colleges in America, it actually started with the need for white plantation uh, owners, slave owners, to pass on their plantation to their sons. And what they needed to do was have a way for their sons to be able to be trusted with such things. And that is actually the birth of state university and colleges in America. It's this sort of deeply wound up in the story of slavery in America. And he identified uh, that uh, it, the, the three things that mattered to slaveholders when they're trying to pass on their plantations to their uh, sons are possession, control, and mastery. Those are the three aspirations of what it means. Possession, control, and mastery. And I just feel struck by how different that is from the aspirations that we just read in Luke 22. Like in, in, in Jesus' world, we're not to understand ourselves as in possession of much. Uh, like he says, like other kings call themselves benefactors, you know, like, oh, everybody who has anything is just because I'm a benefactor. And Jesus says, not so with you. That possession is not the point. And then he says that, you know, control and dominance is not the mark of a leader. What the mark of a leader is, is service and humility, being alongside those that you are with. And so there's these value, the, the, the aspirations are for presence. The aspirations are for service. And then like, what's the thing that's of primary importance to demonstrate? It's not like that, that you are so great. It's not taking the best seat at the table. What is important to demonstrate is that you are trustworthy, like that you, that you, are, you are alongside the rest of these people. And so we have possession, control, and mastery, which are the aspirations of leadership generally that you would learn if you've 
even if like today we're layers and layers and years and years removed from slave owners trying to pass on plantations to their sons. But if we've spent any time in higher education in America, possession, control, and mastery have dictated a lot of what we've been taught to aspire to. And I, I like asking myself, I'm learning to ask myself the question of like, am I aspiring to those in my spheres of leadership when I'm leading people in this church? Or you know, if I'm if I'm leading within my my family units or my extended family, or if I'm leading just you know with the the various different ways that I'm interacting with people in my life, am I aspiring for those things, possession, control, mastery, or am I aspiring for presence, for uh, for for service, and for trustworthiness? Are those my aspirations? That's really been like getting me thinking. I'm just kind of asking that question over and over and over. What am I aspiring to here? Uh, so Luke 22, Jesus on leadership is what's speaking to me. Well, um, what we have here, nine recommendations. You can go back and find them in the chat here. Some good stuff here, uh, all the way from things we're watching to things we're reading to scriptures that are speaking to us. This is if you are looking for deeper content injections into your world. If you've got a break for this summer or if you have a vacation and you're like, what should I, what book should I bring along that's actually going to activate me or convict me or move me in some way? We hope that uh, all of our, uh, the, the, the recommendations that are, are moving us might also move you. Uh, before we close, um, I think it'd be great if uh, we just prayed over uh, this. Haley, can I ask you to pray over us as we close today? Definitely. Jesus, um, I'm just so grateful that you are an active and living God, that you move us to be curious um, about the things that we are watching and listening to, what we are witnessing and interacting with in the world, um, that all of those things are an invitation to find deeper meaning, to find clearer pictures of you, God, to see ourselves, the places that we need to be challenged by, the ways we need to grow. Um, that when we have that mindset of being curious, of staying attentive and looking for you, we get to be drawn into this life-giving place of finding meaning and all of the small things and big things that are a part of our day-to-day. -day. Would we continue to experience you in that very much alive and moving and compelling way? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.